Chapter forty one of Agincourt, a romance by George Payne Rainsford James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Camp. September days are short and bright, like the few hours of happiness in the autumn of man's career. September nights are long and dull, like the wearing cares and infirmities of life's decline. But often the calm grand moon will shed her cold splendour over the scene, solemn and serene, like the light of those consolations which Cicero suggested to his friend for the privation of the warmer joys and more vivid hopes that pass away with the spring and summer of existence, and with the departure of the brighter star. The wind was sinking away when Richard of Woodville rode out with his companions from the ruined village of Asher, and soon fell into a calm, soft breeze. The moon rose up in her beauty, and cleared away the dull white haze that had spread over the sky during the whole day, and as the travellers wended on in silence, the features of the scene around were clearly marked out by the rays, every bold mass standing forth in strong relief, every deep valley seeming an abyss, where darkness took refuge from the eye of light. For about eight miles farther they pursued their way, almost in total silence. But at the end of that distance, the hanging heads and feeble pace of the horses and mules showed that they would soon be able to go no farther, and the young knight looked anxiously for some place of repose. That part of the country, as the reader is aware, is famous for its rocks and caverns. There is a very remarkable cave at a place called Albert, but that was at a considerable distance behind them, and on their left. In passing along, however, by the side of a steep cliff, which ran at the distance of a few hundred yards from the road, with a green sward between, the moon shone full upon the rocky face of the hill, and the eye of Richard of Woodville soon perceived the mouth of a cavern, like a black spot upon the surface of the mountain. After some consultation with his companions, and some suggestions regarding wolves and bears, Woodville determined to try whether shelter could not be found in this entrevast for a few hours, and riding up as far as the footing was safe towards the entrance, the whole party dismounted, and the young knight entering first, explored it by the field to the very farther end, which indeed was at no great distance, as it luckily happened, for in some cases such an undertaking might have been attended with considerable peril. It was perfectly vacant, however, and Woodville brought the two novices within the brow of the rude arch, assuring them that they might rest on a large stone near the mouth in safety. He then led his own horse up, the others following, and taking the bits out of their mouths, the men distributed amongst them the bread they had brought from the village, which the poor beast ate slowly but with apparent gladness, and then fell to the green grass on the mountainside with still greater relish. All the party were silent, for all were very weary, and while the clerk's man laid himself down on the sandy bottom of the cave, and the page sat nodding at the entrance, Richard of Woodville remained standing just within the shadow, with his arms folded on his chest, and the two novices remained seated on the stone where they had first placed themselves, with their arms twined together. The young knight thought that they would soon fall asleep, but such was not the case, and when, after the moon had travelled some way to the south, the sound of a horse's feet made itself heard through the stillness of the night, trotting on towards Asher. The slighter and the shorter of the two girls rose suddenly, and coming forward gazed towards the road, on which at this time the rays were falling strong. 
A moment after, a single horseman rode by at a quick pace, but turned not his head in the direction of the cavern, and seemed little to think that he was watched, for the figure of the slumbering page might well have passed for some stone of a quaint form in that dim light, and the horses had been gathered together under the shadow of a rock. She strained her eyes upon the passing traveller, and then, as he rode on, she returned to her companion and whispered something to her. The other replied in the same low tone, and after a brief conversation they relapsed into silence, and the young knight, stripping off his cloak, gave it to them to wrap themselves in, and counselled them to seek some repose against the fatigues of the coming day. They would fain have excused themselves from taking the mantle, but he insisted, saying that he felt the air sultry, and then seating himself at a distance he closed his eyes, strove to banish thought, and after several efforts dozed lightly, waking every five or ten minutes and looking out to the sky, till at length a faint grey streak in the east told him that morning was at hand. Then rousing his companions he called them to repeat their matin prayers, and after they were concluded hastened to prepare the horses and mules for their onward journey. Day had not fully dawned ere they were once more on the way, but a considerable distance still lay between them and Hesdin, and the few and scanty villages that were then to be found in that part of the country were, in general, deserted, so that but little food was to be found for man or beast. At one farmhouse, indeed, the two weary girls found an hour's repose on the bed of the good farmer's wife. Some bread and meat and also one feed of corn was procured for the horses and mules, but that was all that could be obtained during the whole day, till at length about Fremincourt they met with a man from whom they learned the exact position of the two armies, which were now drawing nearer and nearer to each other. The headquarters of the one having been established at Saint-Paul, and those of the English at Blogny. Shortly after, the clerk's man pointed out a narrow road to the left, saying, That leads to Hesdin, and Woodville, drawing in his rein, turned to his fair companions, saying, Here, then, we must part, for I must on to Blogny. With all speed, the man and the boy shall accompany you, and God guard you on your way. Farewell, then, for the present, Sir Knight, replied the taller of the two girls, we shall meet again, I think, when I may thank you better than I can now. But take your page with you at least, sir, said the other. We shall be quite safe, I doubt not. Richard of Woodville would not consent, however, and giving the boy some directions, he waved his hand and rode away. Once, just as he was going, he turned his head, hearing voices speaking and thinking someone called him by name. But the younger novice, as she seemed, was talking with apparent eagerness to the clerk's man, and he caught the sounds, as soon as he is gone, take plenty with you. The young knight perceived that the words were not addressed to him, and spurred forward. Evening was coming on apace, and Blungy was still ten or twelve miles distant, but his horse was exhausted with long travelling and little food, and nothing would urge him into speed. At a slow walk he pursued his way, till at length, just as the sun touched the edge of the western sky, the animal stopped altogether, with his limbs trembling and evidently unable to proceed. Richard of Woodville dismounted, and taking the bit out of the horse's mouth, he relieved him from the saddle, and led him a little way from the road, saying, "'There, poor beast, find food and rest if you can.' He then left him and walked on afoot." 
The red evening light at first glowed brightly in the sky, but soon it grew grey, and faint twilight was all that remained, when the road wound into a deep forest, covering the sides of a high hill. Woodville had heard that Blongy was situated in the midst of woodlands, and his heart felt relieved as he approached. But the darkness increased as he went on, and at length the stars shone out above. Soon after, a hum as of a distant multitude met his ear, but it was lost again as the road wound round the ascent amidst the tall trees, and all was silent and solemn. About a quarter of a mile onward, where the hill was steep, the path rose above the scrubby brushwood on his left, and he could see over the forest to a spot where a reddish glare rose up from the bottom of the valley. But somewhat farther in the forest itself, on a spot where the taller trees had fallen before the axe, and nothing but thin underwood remained, he caught a sight of three or four fires, the light of which shone upon some half-dozen tents, and the figures of men moving about across the blaze were apparent, notwithstanding the darkness of the night. The distance might be three or four hundred yards, and Richard of Woodville, wearied and exhausted, resolved to make his way thither, rather than take the longer and more tedious course of following the road to the bottom of the hill. Plunging in then, sometimes through low copse, sometimes amongst tall trees, he hurried on, feeling faint and heavy-hearted again, for the first joy of rejoining his countrymen had passed away, and, from the rumours he had heard, he not a little doubted of his reception. He knew, too, that he had nothing to reproach himself with, and felt sure that he should easily prove the falsehood of any charge against him. But it was painful to think that, after long imprisonment, and the loss of many a bright day and fond hope, he should be met with coldness and frowns upon his first return. The body, too, weighed upon the spirit as it always does in every moment of lassitude and exhaustion, so that all things seemed darker to his eye than they would have done at another moment. On he walked, however, his feet catching in the long briars, or striking against the stumps of felled trees, till at length a man started up before him and exclaimed, "'Who goes there?' "'A friend,' answered the young knight in the same English tongue. "'What friend?' demanded the soldier, advancing. "'My name is Woodville. Lead me to your lord, whoever he is,' replied Richard." "'Here, Mark,' cried the man to another, who was a little farther down, "'take him to Sir Henry's tent.' And suffering the knight to pass on, he laid himself down again amongst the leaves. The second soldier gazed at the young knight steadily for a moment by the blaze of the burning wood, and then told him to follow, murmuring something to himself as he led the way. They passed the two fires without any notice from the men who were congregated round, and approached the tents, while from the valley below rose up some wild strains of instrumental music, the flourish of trumpets and clarions, mixed with the sound of many human voices, talking, laughing, and shouting. "'Have you seen the enemy yet?' asked Richard of Woodville. "'No, sir,' replied his guide. "'But we shall see him to-morrow,' they say. "'Here is the knight's tent. You may go in, I know.' The man laid a strong emphasis on the word, you, and turning to look at him as held back the hangings of the tent, the young knight thought he recognised an old, familiar face. The next instant he was within the canvas, and beheld before him a man of about his own age, seated at a board, raised upon two trestles, with a lamp burning, and a book spread out under his eyes. His head was bent upon his hand, and the curls of his thick, short hair were black, 
mingled here and there with a silvery thread. He was deep in study, and heard not the rustle of the tent as the stranger entered, nor his footfall within. And Richard paused for an instant and gazed upon him. As he did so, his eye grew moist, and he said in a low voice, "'Dacre! Harry!' Sir Henry Dacre started, and raised his worn and care-wrought countenance, and springing forward he clasped Woodville in his arms, exclaiming, "'Oh, Richard, can it be you?' Then, looking with an apprehensive eye round the tent, he said, "'Thank God there is no one here. Did they know you? Did anyone see you?' "'Yes,' replied Richard of Woodville. Two of your men saw me, Dacre. But what means all this? Why should Richard of Woodville fear to be seen by mortal man?' "'Oh, there are strange and false reports about Richard,' replied Dacre, with a sorrowful look. "'False, most false, I know them to be. I am too well aware how men can lie and calumniate.' but you will find all men, except some few true friends, against you here, for day by day and hour by hour these rumours have been increasing, and every one, even to the peasantry of the land, seem to be leagued against you. "'Give me but some food, Dacre, and a cup of wine,' answered Richard of Woodville, "'and I will meet them this minute face to face. Why, Dacre, I have naught to fear. I have had neither time nor opportunity to do one base act, if I had been so willed.' I am but a few short days out of bonds, and my first act will be to seek the king and dare any man on earth to bring a charge against me. Not to-night, not to-night, cried Sir Harry Dacre. Let there be some preparation first. Hear all that has been said. Not an hour will I lie under the stain, Harry, replied his friend. I am weary, faint, and exhausted for want of food. Give me some wine and bread. Throw open the door of your tent and let all your men see me. Let them rejoice that I have come back to do myself right. I fear not to show my face to any one. Dacre, with a slow step and thoughtful brow, went to the entrance of the tent and called to those without to bring food and wine, and the boards were soon spread with such provisions as the camp could afford. Seating himself on a coffer of arms, Woodville ate sparingly and drank a cup of wine, asking from time to time, "'Where is Sir John Grey? Where is my good uncle? "'He will not be absent from an enterprise like this, I am right sure.' "'Here, here, both here,' answered Sir Harry Dacre, "'and Mary and Isabel are even now at Calais. "'But be advised, my friend, do not show yourself to-night. "'The whole court is crowding round the king in the village down below. "'Let the battle be over first. "'You will do good service, I am sure. "'You can fight in armour, not your own, and then—' "'Armour, Harry!' cried the young knight. "'I have no armour, but the armour of a true heart, "'and that is proof against the shafts of calumny. "'It never shall be said that Richard of Woodville "'paused when the straightforward course of honour was before him. "'Thought, preparation, care, "'would be a slander on my own good name. "'I need no meditated defence. "'I have done naught on earth that an English knight "'should blush to do, and he who said so lies. "'Now I am ready for the task.' Ha! Hugh of Clatford, is that you? he continued, as some one entered the tent. You have just come in time to be my messenger. Full glad I am to see you, noble sir, answered the stout yeoman. We have a world of liars amongst us, which is the only thing that makes me fancy these Frenchmen may win the day. But now you are come, you will put them to silence, I am sure. Right, you, right, replied Woodville. "'But you have some word for Sir Harry. "'Speak your message, and then I will give you mine.' 
"'Tis no great matter, sir,' said Hugh of Clatford. "'Sir Philip begs you would send him two loads of arrows, Sir Henry, "'if you have any to spare. "'That is all,' he continued, addressing Dacre, "'and when the knight had answered, Woodville resumed eagerly. "'If you are a true friend, Hugh, "'you will go down for me to the king's quarters "'and say to the first high officer that you can speak to "'that Sir Richard of Woodville, just escaped from a French prison, "'is here in camp.' and beseeches his grace to grant him audience, as he hears that false and calumnious reports, to which he gives the lie, have been spread concerning him, while he has been suffering captivity. "'I will call out our old knight himself,' replied Hugh. "'He is now with the king at the castle, and will do the errand boldly, I am sure. "'Away, then, quick, good Hugh, for I am all impatience,' said Woodville, and the yeoman retired." When he was gone, Sir Harry Dacre would fain have spoken with his friend regarding all the reports that had been circulated of him during his absence, but Woodville would not hear, and taking another cup of wine, he said, "'I shall learn the falsehood soon enough, Harry. Now tell me of yourself and Isabel.' But Dacre waved his hand. "'I cannot talk of that,' he said. "'Tis the same as ever. She knows how I love her, and her father, too. But the phantom of a doubt still crosses her, even her. That I can see.' and good Sir Philip answers bluffly as is his wont, that he knows it is false. But yet, but yet, oh, that accursed but yet, Richard, the plague-spot is upon me still. That is enough. The breath of one foul vapour can obscure the sun, and the tongue of one false villain can tarnish the honour of a life. Pooh, nonsense, Harry, answered his companion. I will show you, ere many hours be over, how lightly I can shake falsehood off. "'Tis still your own heart that swells the load. "'I had not thought my uncle was so foolish, so unkind.' "'He wiled him on to speak farther, "'but the same cloud was still upon Sir Henry Dacre's mind. "'It was unchanged and dark as ever. "'Study, to which he had given himself up, "'had done naught to clear it away. "'Reflection had not chased it thence. "'Time itself had not lightened it. "'Half an hour passed, and then there came a tramp as of armed men.' Dacre looked anxiously on his friend's face, but Woodville heard it calmly, and when the hangings were drawn back and a royal officer entered, followed by a party of archers, no change came upon his countenance. "'What is your pleasure, Sir William Porter?' answered Dacre, looking at him earnestly. "'I am sorry, sir, to have this duty,' replied the officer, "'but I am sent to arrest Sir Richard of Woodville, charged with high treason.' Woodville smiled. "'Are your orders, sir, to bring me before the king?' he demanded. "'No, sir knight,' answered Sir William Porter. "'I am to hold you a prisoner till his grace's pleasure is known.' "'Then I must ask a boon,' replied Woodville, "'which is simply this, that you will keep me here in ward "'till one of your men convey this to the king. "'He gave it me long ago, and bade me in a strait like this make use of it. "'Let your messenger say that I claim his royal promise to be heard when I ask it.' At the same time he took the ring from his finger, but then, recollecting himself, he said, "'But stay, I will write,' so he commanded. "'You must write quickly, Sir Knight,' replied Sir William Porter, "'for the king retires early, and I must not wait long.' "'My words shall be very few,' answered Woodville, and Sir Harry Dacre, with hasty hands, produced paper and ink. The young knight's words were, indeed, few. "'My liege,' he wrote, I have returned from long captivity and find that I have been charged with crimes while my tongue was silent in prison. I know not what men lay to my account, 
but I know that I have done no wrong. Your Grace once promised that if I needed aught at your royal hands, and sealed my letter with the ring you then gave me, you would read the contents yourself, and at once. I do so now, but I have no boon to ask of you, my liege, but to be admitted to your presence, to hear the charges made against me, and to give the lie to those who made them. Love to your royal person, zeal for your service, honour to your crown, I own I have ever felt, but if these be not crimes, I have committed none other against you, and am ready to be sifted like chaff, sure that my honesty will appear. God grant you, royal sir, his great protection, victory over all your enemies, and subjects as faithful as Richard of Woodville. He folded it, sealed it, and delivered it to the royal officer, saying, Let the king be besought to look at the seal. His royal promise is given that he will read it with his own eyes. Sir William Porter examined the impression with a thoughtful look, and then replied, abruptly, I will take it myself. Guard the tent, he continued, turning to his men, and withdrew. With more speed than Woodville or Dacre had thought possible, he returned, and entering, bade the prisoner follow. The king will see you, sir knight, he said. Your letter has had its effect. As all true words ever will on his noble heart, replied Woodville, rising. I will go with you, Richard, exclaimed Sir Harry Dacre. Who is with the king, Sir William? His uncle, noble sir, his brothers, the Earl of Warwick, Sir Philip Beecham, Sir John Grey, Philip the Treasurer, and some others, but we must speed, for it is late. And leading the way from the tent, he walked on towards the small town of Blongy, with Woodville and his friend, followed by the archers, and one or two of Dacre's servants. End of chapter 41